Uh, the reading uh, today is Esther chapter 4, verses 1 to 17. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa to, to show to Esther and to explain it to her. And he told him to, to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold, gold scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go into the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but the, you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, Gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, David. Morning, everyone. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, this is uh, an important moment in the book of Esther, uh, and so we ask that you would help us to see the significance uh, this morning. Please help us to respond rightly. In the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we're continuing in the book of Esther, and if you haven't been with us uh, for the past couple of weeks, then the start of that reading was probably very confusing. 
Uh, so let me just uh, remind you of, of what's uh, happened to this point. Uh, we're in the Persian Empire. God's people are, are living in the empire as exiles, and they've been taken from their homes. Uh, and, and they're being ruled by this guy named Xerxes, King Xerxes. And in the empire, there's a man named Haman uh, who's been given a position of honor above all the other nobles. And everyone's been ordered to kneel down before Haman in order to honor him. But one man, a Jew named Mordecai, refuses to bow down. And this makes Haman furious. And in response to this, Haman comes up with this cunning plan uh, to get revenge, not just on Mordecai, but on all the Jews. Uh, And he came up with a law which King Xerxes approves. In 11 months' time, there would be a day when all the Jews will be murdered, all their goods plundered. And as the chapter begins, uh, the Jews find out about this law to kill them that the king has approved. And Mordecai's reaction is the the first reaction that we're given in verse 1. And he's absolutely devastated, uh, as you can imagine, because in 11 11 months' time, his people are set to be wiped out. Now, let me try and uh, put things in perspective. Uh, In Uganda in the late uh, 1800s and in the 1900s, a number of people of Asian descent migrated to Uganda for more opportunities. And things were going fairly well for them, but in August of 1972, the Ugandan dictator, Idi Amin, issued a law. Now, this law forced around 100,000 Asians uh, to leave Uganda within three months. Now, they had to leave behind possessions uh, and surrender their businesses that they had built up built up over the years. And many of their lives were uprooted, uh, and people feared what might happen if they disobeyed. Uh, My mum and her family were among those who had to leave, uh, and people were rightly devastated by these events. Now, in our passage this morning, the consequences of Haman's law are much more severe. It's not simply possessions, but human lives that are at stake. And that explains why Mordecai is so deeply deeply troubled by what he learns. He tears his clothes. He puts on sackcloth and ashes, uh, which at the time was a sign of intense grief and mourning. Uh, And we see it in other parts of the Bible too. And as Mordecai heads into the city, he's not just shedding the odd tear. He is wailing loudly and bitterly. He's inconsolable, overwhelmed by this law. But, of course, it's not just Mordecai who's, uh, who's mourning this decision of the king. It's all the Jews who are still living in exile, uh, scattered through these various provinces. This, this affected every single one of them. And while all this is taking place, Esther is carrying on her life as a queen. Esther, of course, is, is Mordecai's cousin, and she was raised by him uh, like a daughter. And so when she hears about Mordecai, she's concerned, understandably. He's causing quite a scene. He's wearing sackcloth and he's sitting at the king's gate. And in her concern, she decides to send Mordecai some clothes. And it's a nice gesture, um, Esther's actions, but Esther's actions reveal something uh, to us. See, Esther at this point is a product of the Persian Empire. When she hears about Mordecai, she seems confused. Uh, It's as if she doesn't understand that wearing sackcloth and ashes 
as a Jewish sign of mourning. It's been about, it's been about four or five years since she, since she became queen. Maybe she's forgotten about her heritage. Or maybe she never really got a chance to learn about it. Either way, she completely misreads the situation uh, and she thinks that buying clothes will solve the problem. But Mordecai rejects them. Who would have thought that buying clothes for someone of the opposite sex could go so wrong? <laughs> so, um, so Esther sends a messenger to find out what's troubling Mordecai. And she finds out about Haman's plan to destroy the Jews. And she's given instructions for Mordecai to go to King Xerxes and to beg for mercy and to plead for her people. And this is where things come to a head, because Mordecai is asking Esther to put her own life at risk for the sake of the Jewish people. Now take a look at verse 11. Esther may well be the queen, but there's still something daunting about King Xerxes. See, being queen doesn't guarantee anything, uh, as we saw a couple of weeks ago with Queen Vashti. And Esther's concerns are, are completely valid. After all, this is a king who is completely erratic in his decision-making. He's impulsive. You never know quite uh, what you're going to get when it comes to Xerxes. Someone gives him an idea and he'll just run with it, regardless of how illogical it seems. It's hardly the kind of person that you would choose to put your life in the hands of. But that is exactly what Mordecai is asking of Esther. Approach this lunatic of a king and ask him for mercy. Now there's a glimmer of hope for Esther because if she does approach the king and he shows her favour, then she will be spared. Uh, But as we see at the end of verse 11, the fact that she hasn't been in the king's presence for a whole month doesn't bode well. See, Xerxes could have easily seen Esther if he wanted to, but he seems to have lost interest in her, uh, and that makes Esther even more reluctant. The other thing to remember is that Esther is in a position of privilege. She's living in luxury. Materially, she has it all. So she's not being asked to risk her life for someone who doesn't, as someone who doesn't have much to live for. She's being asked to risk everything, knowing that she's in a position where she has it all. I mean, she's a queen living in the luxury of a palace. Uh, It's not an easy decision. Well, in her reply, she kind of politely lays out the reasons why this is a bad idea. Now, if Esther's words are uh, diplomatic, then Mordecai's are much more forthright. Sensing Esther's hesitation, Mordecai is quick to assess the situation and speak to convince Esther that she needs to act. Uh, Look at verse 13. Don't think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. See, Esther is a Jew. She's part of God's people. No matter where she's living or what position she's in, this law that's been passed condemns her as well. Being silent is going to cost her everything, including her life. And so Mordecai gives two reasons why she needs to act. Uh, And the first reason is at the start of verse 14. If she fails to speak up, God will rescue his people and bring about his purposes by some other means. And this part's important. Mordecai is drawing on the promises of God when he claims that the people of God will be delivered in some way. Because earlier in the Bible, God had promised to bless his people 
and he had promised to bless the world through his people. Now this verse touches on one of the, the major themes of the Bible, and that is that God is sovereign. Simply put, uh, God's sovereignty means that he has the power and the authority to do everything that he decides to do, including the things that he's already promised to do. He's working in all things to bring about his purposes, even when things seem hopeless, even when it doesn't feel like it. Uh, He is ultimately working for the good of his people. And in various uh, parts of the Bible, we see God's sovereignty emphasised. We see God will even use the unlikeliest of people in the unlikeliest of ways to fulfil these purposes of his. So Mordecai tells Esther to act because God is sovereign. The second reason Mordecai gives is in the second half of verse 14, uh, and that is that God has placed Esther in her position as queen for this very purpose. She's been given this responsibility, and now it's time to use it to serve others. Now, this is another theme we see throughout the Bible, and that is the theme of human responsibility. God has made Esther queen, uh, and now she needs to act. And in various uh, parts of the Bible, we see these two things on display, God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And they're two themes that we need to hold together. Uh, There's always a danger that we emphasise one at the expense of the other. Uh, and we need to be careful that because uh, we need to be careful of that because the Bible holds the both of them together, uh, and we certainly see that in this passage. Now, some of us here will tend to emphasise God's sovereignty uh, at the expense of our own, respond, uh, own responsibility to respond rightly to the Word of God. Uh, I know I find myself in that category from time to time. God's in control, so maybe I'll just sit back and, and let Him do it all. Others of us will fail to recognise God's sovereignty and will live as though it's completely up to us uh, as to whether or not God's purposes will come about, as if it all depends on our effort. But both of these are errors uh, and we need to avoid them. It's good to be aware of your own tendencies. So Mordecai gives Esther these two reasons that she needs to act. God will bring about his purposes and Esther has been given this responsibility. Uh, But before we move on, it's worth saying that there are various stages uh, in life where we need a Mordecai looking out for us. See, sometimes we need someone to challenge us when we're in danger of drifting down the wrong path, as Esther was here. And maybe you've experienced that in your Christian journey, someone nudging you back on track. Uh, You might even have been the person, that person in someone else's life. Uh, It's good to be looking out for one another in that way as Christians. Well, in the last few verses in the chapter, we see the result of Mordecai's intervention. Uh, And in these verses, Esther really comes into her own as a queen. See, it's one thing to have the title queen. Uh, It's a very different thing to actually live up to it. But in verses 15 to 17, we see Esther do just that. She asks Mordecai to gather all the Jews who are in the city of Susa and to tell them to fast for her. No food, no drink, for three days and nights. Uh, And it's worth noting that this is the second time that fasting is mentioned uh, and not prayer, which is slightly odd for the Bible. Uh, I won't say much here, but I I think prayer is being implied. Uh, If you think otherwise, feel free to uh, convince me. Uh, 
So Esther and her attendants uh, also plan to fast and, and maybe pray. Uh, and at the end of the three days, she resolves to go and see the king, even though it's against the law. And look at her words at the end of verse 16. If I perish, I perish. This is what a leader looks like. And this is a real turning point for Esther in the whole book. From this moment on, Esther has a real dignity to her. She's willing to risk everything for the sake of her people. She goes from a woman who's making compromises to a queen who's willing to take action because it's going to help others. And so that's chapter 4 of the book of Esther. Now what can we uh, take away from this? I think one of the most obvious things that this chapter raises is that it asks us, it asks us where our allegiance lies. See, up until the last few verses, we're not sure if Esther cares more about the Persian Empire or the people of God. And that's part of the ambiguity of her character. If you think back to chapter 2, you'll remember that out of the four main characters that we're introduced to, Esther is the only one who's given two different names. She's got Esther and then her Hebrew name, Hadassah. And so even from that point, you're left wondering about her allegiance. Is it with the Persian Empire or with the people of God? And as was the case for Esther, the security and the riches that the world offers us can be quite attractive in anything we do, with our time, with our money. Uh, And so we need to ask ourselves, is our allegiance in the right place? Are we aligning ourselves with God? It's important to to make it clear that life isn't always as black and white as, as we would like. Some of us will be in positions of influence where our actions will be highly scrutinized. Uh, I think of teachers, lawyers, uh, people in leadership positions, many other examples. Some of us might have aspirations to be in such positions, but showing our allegiance to God could cost us the potential to rise up the ranks. It might cost us career opportunities. It might cost us financially. It might cost us the admiration of others. When we're faced with these kinds of losses, uh, we might ask ourselves, do do people need to know that I'm a Christian? Is that something that perhaps I can keep quiet? I think one of the reasons that we fail to show our allegiance to God is because like Esther, we're unsure how the King Xerxes of this world will react. Will it cost us dearly if we identify as Christians? in the various areas of your life, at your home, uh, with your friends, at your workplace, in your sports teams or the community groups you're a part of, in the orchestra or the choir, in your book club? Is it obvious where your allegiance lies? Is it obvious to those around us? If you're a parent, is your allegiance to God obvious to your children? See, it's a powerful witness when the answers to those questions are yes. But if you're anything like me, then you'll know there have been times where you've failed to identify with the people of God. You've chosen the empire that is the world around us. Maybe out of fear, or maybe simply because it's attractive. 
When we look at Esther's bold actions at the end of the chapter, uh, I think some of us might feel the weight of our own failures. Uh, Well, if that's you, uh, can I encourage you to look to the Lord Jesus? Because he was the one who who willingly went before the king of his time. Uh, One commentator puts it like this. Jesus doesn't say, if I perish, I perish. He says, when I perish, I perish. When I perish, I perish. See, Jesus willingly went to the cross to be crucified for our sin. He was willing to risk the riches and the security of the palace. And he was willing to do it to save us. And when we know that uh, deep in our hearts, only then will we be willing to risk our positions, our status, our reputations, even our careers, our security for his sake. We'll see that we're part of God's plan to redeem his people, that we can be open about our faith because we know it's worth it. Uh, and as I said, maybe you're someone who's, who's failed miserably when it comes to aligning yourself with God. Maybe you've hidden your faith, even to the point that people don't know you're a Christian. It's not hard to do. Uh, Well, whatever your experience to this point, remember that God is continuing to bring about his purposes and he'll use your experiences. He'll use your failures, your weakness, your gifts, your skills. He'll use all of these things to further his kingdom. God has placed each of us where we are to serve him. Uh, We may not always know why, but we have this unique call on our lives. Will we be those who recognize that he has placed us here for such a time as this? Will we use our influence uh, to serve others? Uh, As we close, uh, there was a a man who was a Christian, uh, and he liked uh, to give thanks for his food uh, quietly before he ate. Now, one day he was uh, having lunch with his bosses uh, and the CEO noticed him bowing his head and closing his eyes. Uh, and he asked him, are you, are you saying grace? And the man kind of hesitated before he replied. And he said, yes. Uh, the CEO responded, well, that's great. Uh, I'm a Christian. Could you give thanks for me as well? Uh, we never know how God will use us to encourage those, uh, encourage those around us uh, where he's placed us. Let me pray that we would be those who echo the words of Esther. If I perish, I perish. Uh, Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a sovereign God who is bringing about your purposes. Uh, Thank you that you include us in that. Well, please help us to be uh, bold in showing our allegiance to you. Help us to find our security in you uh, because we know the lengths that Jesus went to to save us. May we be those who use our lives to serve you and your people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.